you know, I grew up very poor and, uh, that, that can instill in you this, you know, need to save money and you need to try to make as much as you can and take advantage of any opportunity you possibly can. I really had to work through the mindset of developing an abundance mindset. Like that was a, that was a big challenge for me. I had to go from a serious scarcity mindset to trying to develop an abundance mindset. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, a show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode 309. Stace, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Doing great over here. How are you tonight? Doing pretty good. So I've been thinking, actually I've been doing some research on Tardscar's comment from a few weeks ago, I guess. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks about getting more people on that are 50 plus. And I came across this article Super interesting. The tar- the title of the article is the exact age when you make your best financial decisions. There's a magical number or a magic number for when your expertise and cognitive powers align. That magical age, on average, around 53 and 54. It says, at around that age, people have accumulated knowledge and experience about money, spending, and saving, but haven't begun losing key analytical analytic cognitive skills goes on to talk about all sorts of different things. Uh, One of the economists in this says, as we get older, we seem to rely more on past experience, rules of thumb, and intuitive knowledge about which products or strategies are better. So maybe Tard Scar has a point about getting some people on in their 50s and 60s. Not that I didn't want some of that before, but at any rate, it is kind of interesting to think about that based on this research that, that some of these people have done, and I guess it's the Chromics. Uh, Chromics is the one that, that led the study. You know, by the time you get to the 50, you've probably worked in your working life a majority of it. And so from a compounded interest standpoint, you don't have as much left. However, we've learned from several people, Warren Buffett, probably the most notable, that you know, from a compounded interest standpoint, his net worth has ballooned since he was 50. One comment this article makes says, one financial mistake 50-year-olds tend to make involves underestimating their life expectancy, which can lead to flawed planning decisions about retirement. A typical 50-year-old expects to live until age 76 when actuarial estimates have that person living another decade to age 86, according to this study, which looked at surveys uh, primarily in Australia. A 2020 study in the United States found that 28% of adults 50 or older underestimated their life expectancy by at least five years. So kind of interesting, Stace, I don't know if you felt that there's been an age yet that you've made your best financial decisions or is those still to come? What do you think? (laughs) That's a good question. And something I definitely haven't really considered before. I think that you're always evolving and thinking in some, in some ways as you are growing your net worth, you're thinking more about how you can invest more, how you can save more. And in some ways you kind of loosen the reins on other things, maybe some convenience, uh, convenience things along the way 
you know, for instance, I did a grocery pickup order and I needed it at a certain time. And so I paid $5 extra to get it earlier. That was, that was a, a, a negative, that was a step back, <laughs> but you know, doing other things like school supply shopping, I realized, wow, Walmart's way cheaper than Amazon. So I canceled, I t- took everything off my Amazon cart, put it on Walmart. I don't know. Those are obviously just small things. And I do a lot more of the day-to-day household purchases than I am managing our long-term investments. Obviously you do a lot more of that than I do. So I think you probably swing the pendulum a lot more than I do. And I think you probably feel like you're always evolving and always, always learning new things. And, you know, I'm more household budget and trying to stay savvy with that and make sure I'm, you know, not overspending. And we obviously have our budgeting conversations on, on how things are going throughout the month. So, yeah, I mean, I think that hopefully you're always picking up little tidbits, putting them in your pocket and using those as you go. Yeah, I think, I mean, this article is interesting, right? And and the fact that, you know, I think there is a lot of wisdom to to be learned by people who have more experience. And as always, we would love to to get more of those. You know, if you haven't heard your story, haven't heard somebody in your age or whatever, I think we just did an art or we just did an interview this week with probably at least for a couple more months. But uh, the gentleman was in his 70s and it's, it's a phenomenal episode. It is interesting to think about that, you know, by the time you get to, you know, call it early 50s, you've potentially made all the mistakes, you've honed in on your strategy, but you're also staring at retirement in in the traditional sense of the word that may only be, you know, a decade away and you really don't have as much time to add to it. So interesting trend as we, as we uh, start to look at these baby boomers retiring and to see what happens with their portfolios, with their mindset, with working extra jobs or who knows what, you know, if they did indeed underestimate their life expectancy. And at any rate, we'd love to have more great millionaires on. So if you haven't heard your story, reach out to us, millionairesinveiled at gmail.com. Or if you have feel like you have heard your story, no biggie. We always love to hear uh, great stories. Wanted to read a couple of reviews. We still got one more week here for... Uh, Enter you into the uh, the fact. We've been getting quite a few. Uh, this one comes from Freedom, seventeen seventy six. Haven't missed an episode. This is an insightful podcast allowing successful individuals to tell their own unique stories. Although we miss Clark, Jason team have continued on. Stacy adds great energy and perspective in recent episodes. Thank you for this encouraging forum. Appreciate that from Freedom seventeen seventy six. Also got another great one from. Sarah, love this podcast. Always learn something new. It's a great podcast. Thanks for those. Once again, send us an email with the screenshot of your review, and uh, we'll put you in to enter into the uh, free factor box. Crazy thing to announce this week. Unfortunately, got an email from Stitcher, which we still have more people than I thought actually listening on the Stitcher platform. Stitcher is going to discontinue all their services on August 29th. So this is it. Stitcher's over. Uh, they're ending operations on t- August 29th, 2023. Sad news. So if you're listening to our, our show on Stitcher, you will no longer be able to. We are working uh, to get that over to Pandora, which is their sister app. And we we'll also have a Creator Connect, which is something new. It's part of the Cirrus XM uh, network that uh, the podcast will be added to too. But sad news for Stitcher. Hope everything uh, for those listeners on, on Stitcher can can get to a different platform. 
uh, iTunes is still by far the the number one, and then uh, you know number two now is actually Spotify. So I don't know if you have a Spotify account or not, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to get you uh, access if you were con- if you were listening on Stitcher previously. So today we've got a great episode with Martin. He's got a net worth just over a million bucks. I think the craziest thing about his story is he grew up pretty poor and worked as as an engineer and then built up a real estate portfolio. And now in his mid-30s, he is retired. His wife is still working a traditional traditional job, but he has since retired and kind of started pursuing some entrepreneurial pursuits as he was able to build up the real estate portfolio large enough to cover what he was making previously as an engineer. So great discussion with him about mindset, changing mindset. He's got about uh, a majority of it in real estate at this point, but we have a, a, a discussion with him about winding some of that real estate down and getting into what he calls more of, of some passive investments. So last week we had Dr. Latifat, and her net worth was just over two or just around two million. Great episode with her. The reviews coming in are amazing. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Martin. Martin, you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. I was formerly an, an engineer, a uh, mechanical engineer. Uh, did that for about 10 years. Got very involved in trying to achieve financial independence. Got involved in real estate investing and uh, used that as my vehicle to achieve financial independence and uh, become a millionaire uh, by the age of 35. So uh, now today, uh, I left my mechanical engineering job in 2022, and uh, now I just work on entrepreneurial stuff as well as other hobbies. Awesome. Good for you. Before we get into to a little bit of the story, though, what is your net worth today? Uh, 1.1 million, roughly. Okay. And, and what's the breakup of that? Uh, so I have, before the call, um, I have... A little over 600000 in real estate. We have a solo 401k that has about 155, 156 in it. And then we have a pretty solid chunk of cash that we've built up over the last couple of years just from saving and then also selling a few properties. I believe that's, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know the number off the top of my head. So you've got okay. 150K in Roth and then you've got another 150 in the market. Is that correct? But so the, when I say the market, like I think on my sheet, I, I said I have, uh, we have a sizable chunk of money that is in SEC funds, I'd call it. Uh, those are like hard money lending funds, um, stuff like that. And then we have a sizable chunk of cash that we've saved up, kind of doubling back here. But so most most of that chunk of cash is now in the hard money lending fund. So Okay. Um, is that a fund that you source on your own? No, that is not my fund. That is uh, a friend of mine um, that runs that fund, and uh, we've known him for a long time. So, Why did you decide to invest into some of these hard money loans? Uh, so... Well, they're, they're funds. So, so typically the way that they operate is that, you know, the operator, it's, it's their business to, uh, do hard money lending. So they'll, they'll perform hard money lending loans for real estate investors. So investor comes to them. Uh, they need, uh, either a bridge loan or a loan for, you know, three to six months to do a major rehab 
project or real estate investment purchase. And that and during that time frame, you know, they're paying interest to them. The loan is collateralized by the asset. And then so what what the hard money lending fund does is they take, you know, the money from investors to make those loans. Uh, so for me, it's kind of looking at it like, well, you know, that the money's secured in some way. And uh, as a lot of things go with funds like this, it really it really boils down to the operator and if you trust them and, you know, how long you've known them and, uh, you know, the people that operate this particular fund that I, I work with, uh, they've been in business for many years and I've known them for a long time and they've even kind of been mentors to me to some degree. So, you know, kind of fully trust them with, with our with our funds. And how long have you been invested in those hard money funds? Uh, we started doing that, I'd say about a year and a half ago. And that's just because I'm slowly kind of transitioning stuff out of real estate. Not that real estate's not a good investment. Um, it's just, you know, some of the headaches that can kind of come with uh, rental real estate, I think over time and with, you know, owning and managing several properties over the last uh, five years, uh, just wanting to get away from some of those headaches. And, uh, a lot more passive cash flow, even though the returns might not be as great. So, and do you get paid monthly on that, or quarterly, or how does it work usually? I get paid monthly. You can set it up. You know, this particular fund and the operators are pretty flexible, and they kind of work with their investors individually on whatever you want. But I get paid monthly. So awesome. So the rest of your net worths in in real estate equity, and you mentioned that you're planning to transition out of owning real estate directly and more into the fund world. Or what's the plan there? Yeah, I I know that. So we had we still have ten units right now, uh, a mix of different types of properties. But I know that the long term wealth with real estate is pretty pretty difficult to beat, especially when you factor in you know the fact that you've got not just the rental income, but you've got the the tax advantages and the appreciation, and you know you've got somebody else kind of paying your mortgage. It's pretty hard to beat that. So we're gonna we're gonna hang on to them for for at least a while. You know, I'd like to hang on to them for at least five years. And I am, you know, I was very active in the management of different pieces of it. And I'm starting to hand a lot of that stuff off now. But yeah, long term, I think we're slowly transitioning our, our equity to investments that are a lot more passive, that don't require so so much work, you know, that kind of mindset. So do you plan to to continue in that same fund? Or do you want to diversify across multiple operators? Or what's the plan there? I'm not really sure at this point. I know we've got plans to invest further, but I think yes, to answer your question, probably diversify some more. What's what's pretty interesting is like just just being you know a big networker over the last five years, especially in the real estate investing industry. There's there's no shortage of these types of funds, and there's other funds out there that don't just invest in real estate too. So I particularly like them and uh, there are better returns than the one we're kind of using right now. So yes, to answer your question, I think uh, we, we will probably slowly progress more more equity over to some to similar investments. Had quite a bit in cash. Has that been because you've been selling off these these properties? Uh yes. And we just we just save a lot. You know, we we my wife and I live pretty small. I mean we like to travel, but in general we just we just don't spend a lot. Um, a lot of our hobbies don't don't really add up to a whole lot on, on a monthly basis. So, how much do you spend annually usually? Uh, I mean, like non discretionary. I would say uh, if if I look over the last two years, it's about thirty four thousand a year. Holy cow! So y'all really inexpensive, and, and I'm assuming low cost of living area. 
Yeah, where we live is a very low cost of living area. In terms of just for our listeners in comparison to to throughout the country, I mean, would you put it bottom, one of the cheapest places to live, middle of the road, but low cost of living still? Um, I would say we're, you know, like 40th percentile nationally. So it's not like we're at the bottom, but we're certainly, you know, not anywhere near the top. So Wow. So the the cash and and things that you're using to live on now is that all from income that's kicking off from your rentals? Yeah, that's correct. I, my wife still uh, works her um, job as a psychotherapist, um, so we have some income from that. But primarily, the breadth of our income comes from uh, the rental properties and the investments. And, and we usually ask this at the end, but what has been the range of of household income through your working life? Anywhere from if I go back over the last. Five years, anywhere from twenty thousand a year to over a hundred. Wow. Do you have any children? No children at this point. Okay, so just the two of y'all. In terms of where you go from here, you mentioned quit your job, you're living off off of the real estate income and hobbies. What do you primarily spend your days doing now at this point, especially if you're starting to wind down this real estate portfolio? Uh, I spend my days playing entrepreneur. <laughs> I have a number of just, you know, projects I'm kinda of working on that are interest me and are kind of fun. And I guess I can go into detail with those if you'd like. Um, but just pursuing ideas I've had that, you know, so so like real estate for me, it, it kind of got us to where we are ultimately. But I kind of realized after I left my job that the real estate was just, it just wasn't fulfilling to me. You know, it's certainly a great money maker, and I'm a big advocate for real estate and building wealth that way. But uh, just as far as fulfillment went, it, it wasn't something I thoroughly enjoyed. So now I kind of focus my time on, you know, what are, what are the things that I just love doing? How can I help other people with them and, you know, potentially turn them into some sort of um, uh, business, I guess. Things that you're pursuing. Uh, so I have a, a community that I've started that's focused on life after achieving financial independence. So, you know, helping people in this space with whatever they might need. Uh, it's it's focused on, you know, especially for entrepreneurs, because if you're like me, like you obviously can't just hit financial independence and then stop doing what you're doing. You got to have something to do. And on top of that, I think there's some pretty interesting things that happen uh, once you kind of hit that point. Uh, some questions that you didn't necessarily consider before, at least for me, there was some questions I didn't necessarily consider before hitting that point, uh, such as, you know, how, how are you are you going to spend your time? You know, you got another to, you know, grow, grow your income or keep working and stuff. And I don't know, stuff like that. So regret as part of that transition or that you would point out to others that are looking to make the same transition that you have? Uh, certainly, you know, the question of I think it should be a really important uh, point to ask yourself, uh, you know, did you enjoy what you were doing that got you to this point? Because uh, really often what I find is that and not just myself, but also people in, in the community is that they get to this point of financial independence and a lot of them did it through real estate, but there's a lot of different ways to get there, but they get to this point and then they realize like, well, yeah, like that's, that's great. It, we got the wealth, but like now what, what am I going to do now? And I think it's important to ask that question and, you know, focus on something that's going to give you uh, fulfillment. That you particularly took maybe, I don't know, six months, a year, 18 months as you were looking to make that that jump and, and transition? Yeah, I actually thought that I was going to leave my job and I would start an engineering consulting firm. 
and because uh, I have a background in mechanical engineering and product development. And I thought that uh, that would be a really great transition, but I pretty quickly realized like it was too much trading time for money. And I think there's maybe some ways to develop more leveraged income streams from that, but uh, it was just too much trading time. And I did get a contract to start out with, but uh, yeah, like I said, it was just it was too much uh, trading time. I also... Um, Back to your other question, I'm sorry, I, I forgot to mention another project that I'm working on as a book. Um, I'm writing a book and I'm hoping to release that this year. And that book is titled Five Doors to Freedom. And it's about how to achieve financial independence through a small portfolio of rental properties. Wow, good for you. Thank you. So take us back. When did you buy the first property and, and what was that like as you've accumulated you know, quite a few properties? Are they all single family homes? Um, a mix of single family homes, duplexes, and uh, a quad. So I actually purchased my first property back in 2016. Uh, it's kind of a funny story. I moved back to the area that I live in now and I rented a duplex from a local landlord. And after I lived there for a little over a month and a half, the landlord approached me and asked me if I wanted to buy the property. And I was like, well, I wasn't really thinking about it at all. I mean, I had the money in the bank, but I was like, it would just kind of blindsided me. And I ran the numbers and I'm like, well, geez, like the, between the tenant on the other side, like I can basically live in this place for free. Like this is a pretty good deal. And so I kind of, we talked numbers and negotiated a little bit and then I bought the property from him. And that was the first one in 2016. And then a couple of years went by, I self-managed that one. I moved out of it and bought a house kind of outside of town and then, you know, rented the other side or rented that side. Um, and then in like 2018, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was just like the rocket ship for me that completely just changed my perspective on working and having a W-2 job and uh, being an engineer and stuff. The corporate lifestyle was just just never for me. I, I felt like I was really good as an engineer. Just there were certain things about, you know, working for someone else and the odds of ever becoming, you know, wealthy or a lot lower and stuff. So I set out on a journey to purchase more real estate and uh, I got a business partner that was excited about it. And we, we ended up over the course of uh, over the course of about a year, we bought five properties in our local area and we self-managed them and we we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> We learned a lot in a short period of time, and uh, we ended up having to do a lot of the work ourselves, uh, maintenance work ourselves. Through throughout time, I ended up, that business partner and I ended up parting ways, and I ended up taking over the business uh, and the rental properties. And then I slowly added two more properties. So over the course of about uh, six years, uh, we ended up with a total of seven seven properties uh, for thirteen doors, and you know did a lot of rehabs on them refinanced them. And then we ended up with, we ended up doing a mix of short-term rentals in a bunch of them. And my wife actually helped me with that. And then that's ultimately we kind of what got us to where our ultimate goal was to replace my engineering salary. And so we did that. And that's when I left my job in 2022. So how long were you working as an engineer before leaving your job? I worked as an engineer for about 10 years. Very nice. And then when you and your business partner parted ways. Did you end up buying him out or how did that kind of shake out? Yes, I did. Um, it, we, we had to work through all those terms and come up with a number that we thought was fair. You know, fortunately we had been 
we had been friends before we became business partners, um, but realized that we weren't a good match as business partners. But we were amicably able to you know, work through that process and come up with terms uh, for me to repay him. I believe the, the note that we ended up setting up was going to be for seven years, a seven-year balloon, uh, but with monthly payments and, uh, and, a, and a large price tag. Um, and I was able to, you know, over the course of the next couple of years, through improving properties and refinancing them and a little bit of appreciation, able to pay him out in under two years. So, so you said some of your properties are long-term rentals and some are short-term rentals? Yes, that's correct. And how have you liked that mix? I feel like many people do kind of one or the other. I love the mix. And I actually put this in my book because I, th I feel like the long-term rentals provide you a pretty nice solid base to work from. Uh, there, it's a little bit more consistent income. A at least where our properties are, they're not necessarily short-term rental markets. You know, So we get a mix of tenants that'll be looking for a place to stay for a few months or um, tenants that want something short. But the income is a little bit more cyclical. Uh, you don't know necessarily when you're going to have a vacancy. It's kind of hard to hard to predict. Um, but the, the long-term rentals do provide, I feel like, a pretty nice base. So it's always fluctuating, but the, the long-term rental is a little bit more predictable. But I would say the short-term rentals are a lot more work. And unfortunately, people don't always uh, take good care of the property. And you know, it seems like there's just a lot more stuff that we have to deal with with the short-term rentals. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We actually used to have an Airbnb and we got stuff stolen from it or broken <laughs> just constantly. <laughs> Wife is involved in managing your short-term rentals. Is that right? Uh, she helped me. She was the uh, interior designer. So when it came to us furnishing the properties and setting them all up, she was she was the interior designer and helped pick out all the artwork and the furniture and all that stuff. Couldn't have done it without her. I don't, I don't have an eye for that type of thing. And then on top of that, you know, she helped with, uh, we, we saved quite a bit because we, uh, with a lot of our decorations and decor and stuff like that, we, we would go to um, secondhand stores and stuff like that to find stuff. And she just had a knack for it. She's really good at it. So altogether, we furnished five properties. But today, I manage those. Where, where does this journey take you? Do you look at a, a target net worth? Do you feel like you've already made it and now it's just a, a matter of kind of life optimization? Or how do you think about that at this point? It's a super interesting question. And I think for me, because our real estate journey, it was kind of painful. I did a lot of the work on the rehabs that we had to get done. Uh, and that was just due to, you know, failed con contractors that did not come through and a lot of miscellaneous other things. But, you know, that pain really makes you stop and question like, okay, you know, this got me here and we're financially independent, but you know, what's next? And uh, I think, you know, I, I have financial goals like a lot of people, but I, now it's a lot more about life optimization. I think that's a definitely uh, accurate, accurate statement. Like I said, I still have, you know, further net worth goals and uh, cash flow goals and stuff, but it's no longer necessarily about the money. I, you know, a lot of my just curiosity now is, or even over the last year has been around, you know, well, how much money does it take and, and what's, what's it take to be happy? Well, there's so much more that goes into that than money. And I, like, I think one of my biggest realizations was this kind of fallacy that like we chase money and it's not necessarily the thing that's going to make us happier. So more or more happier now than you were, say, five years ago when you were working in your job trying to build up the real estate portfolio? Yeah, I think there's 
I, you know, I think it has a lot to do with uh, Maslow's hierarchy, you know, so you kind of meet that financial need and then you start focusing on other things like uh, fulfillment and, and things like that. But yeah, overall, like with, you know, where we're at, um, you know, our biggest dream was to be able to travel and we already have a few trips planned for the year and I'm super excited about them. My wife's super excited about them and yeah, life is great. And where are you going to go? Uh, our first trip is, uh, we're doing a three week trip in Eastern Europe. Um, and then we have a second tentative trip for, uh, Spain and Portugal. Hey, Eastern Europe. What, uh, what's the draw to go to Eastern Europe? Oh, we just, we just love Europe. <laughs> uh, we haven't been to that area yet. And, uh, there's a ton of just great history to see there. And honestly, what it came down to was we, we have a list of places we want to go, and then uh, we're subscribed to a few things that uh, point out good flight deals to us, and uh, the the deal came up to go to, to Prague, so we booked it. Nice. Are you staying the whole time in the Czech Republic? No. We are planning to go to do a big circle, so we're you know go to southeast, eastern Germany, uh, Poland, uh, um, kind of doing a big, a big loop. Awesome. Big bucket list trip? Yeah. You know, my wife and I, for the longest time, wanted to, you know, back go backpack Europe. And actually, uh, after I left my job last year, we went to Croatia for uh, almost three weeks. And uh, that was just so much fun. So we, we really enjoy that. And I would say we're even now focusing more on potentially doing or trying to slow travel. Uh, so trying to set stuff up so that we can we can do more of that. Let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the uh, most expensive pair of pants that you've purchased? Firehose pants for like sixty bucks when once they first came. <laughs> expensive pair of shoes. Probably a pair of work boots. I bought a pair of Carolinas that were like two hundred bucks. What about the most expensive car? CRV, which we bought six years ago for about thirteen thousand. What's been the most expensive trip or experience that you've paid for? We went to Italy um, when we got married, and that trip was around 7000 What uh, is the lesson you learned from childhood? It's a double-edged sword, but saving money and being frugal. Uh, and, and, you know, if something go too far that way, it can kind of be a scarcity mindset. And, I, yeah, that would be my answer. <laughs> okay, will you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I think that, you know, I grew up, very poor and uh that that can instill in you this you know need to save money and you need to try to make as much as you can and take advantage of any opportunity you possibly can and i didn't grow up in a household of entrepreneurs i grew up in a household where you know we went to work and uh you know, blue collar, um, that can go too far one way to where when i became apparent to me that entrepreneur being an entrepreneur might be a good fit for me i really had to work through the mindset of developing an abundance mindset like that was a that was a big challenge for me. I had to go from a serious scarcity mindset to trying to de- develop an abundance mindset. And how did you make that transition? It wasn't easy. <laughs> I think I, I reading a lot of books, listening to a lot of podcasts, surrounding myself with like with people I wanted to be like, finding mentors. Thing you've ever done to earn money? Ever done to earn money? I'd probably be pretty surprised to hear about it, but it's a small. It, it's uh, basically hard money loans uh, to to friends. You know, so real estate investing friends need a loan. Uh, you tell them, you know, we you set a price and how many points uh, for the loan. And I think a lot of people would consider that high risk. But um, to me, it's the risk is mitigated in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, to answer your question, I'd say hard money loans. Okay. How does one get ahead in life? Get yourself, establish good habits, surround yourself by the people you want to be like and work hard and set goals. Okay. Where did your interest come from in personal finance? I think there was always an interest there. It just 
really um it really blossomed i think when i read rich dad poor dad you know the the fact that you don't necessarily have to trade your time for money that just opened the door to so many different things so i don't know that there was necessarily a point where or something in my life that uh really made me interested in personal finance but uh i would say that was a big turning point towards my with my attitude towards it i was always frugal i was always you know ambitious at work and trying to achieve promotions and increase my salary and stuff. But um, I would say after reading that book was a huge, huge changing moment for me. So, Okay. What's a closely held belief that you've recently changed your mind on? Financial independence gave me the excuse to do what I really wanted, which was be an entrepreneur. Just gave me the sense of security to be able to go do it. Sense of security. Like we have a certain net worth and a certain amount of cash flow. And to some degree, like I know financially, we're going to be perfectly okay. It's like that need is completely met. So it gives me complete freedom to go work on entrepreneurial things or things that I'm passionate about. But I didn't necessarily have to, you know, establish that to go work on those things to begin with. Last pieces of advice for somebody who's just starting out on their journey. Education and, you know, consuming as much education as you possibly can. Strongly recommend, you know, setting goals for yourself and surrounding yourself with like-minded people that are trying to achieve the same thing. Number of doors in mind that you want to grow your real estate portfolio to? I actually really don't want to grow the portfolio anymore. (laughs) I'm good with what we've got. We may, since we're talking about uh, relocating, I'd contemplate adding one more property to the portfolio uh, in wherever we move to. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about this book that you're writing as well. Yeah, sure. It's entitled Five Doors to Freedom. It's about our journey, and it's more specifically about how to achieve financial independence through a small portfolio of rental properties and why you should. Do you feel like there's any risk involved with having a smaller portfolio versus a larger one? So the way that I look at risk is there there certainly is, uh, but how I've kind of gone about it is a direct application of my engineering background. And that's really looking through all the risks associated with it and then asking how can I mitigate that risk? And so there's a lot of, a lot of specific things that I've done to mitigate issues that could arise because we have a small portfolio and that's allowed me you know we've been we've it's been operating at the same like we haven't changed anything in the portfolio in over a year and we've been cash flowing really good and if i look through that exercise you know there's probably six or eight different things that could possibly go wrong uh, but we've done things to mitigate them if they ever happen so for example like we have a we always keep a six-month emergency fund and like all of our loans on all of our properties are fixed, uh, fixed rate, or if they are uh, variable, we've already calculated what the worst possible scenario could be. And I know that we'd be fine if it ever came to that. And that would have to be a pretty, pretty bad scenario because most of them can only even move 1% a year. So like everyone will be learning a lot from your book. I'm excited to see it when it comes out. Oh, thank you so much. Awesome. That's Martin with a net worth of just over $1 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.